Hi, you're listening to Humans of Law. In today's episode, Mary will be speaking with Elizabeth Rimmer, CEO of Lawcare, about the important topic of mental health in the legal industry. Mary and Elizabeth discuss the work that Lawcare does, why workplace culture can be so problematic, and the attitude shifts that many legal professionals are experiencing post-pandemic. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for coming on to our podcast. I am delighted to welcome Elizabeth Rimmer, who is the CEO of Lawcare. And we are going to speak about quite an important and broad topic today, which is mental health in the legal sector. So, Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on. Um, It would be great to have a quick intro from you and tell us a little bit about why Lawcare was set up, who you are, and a little bit about your career, if that's okay. That's fine. And thank you very much for having me along to talk about law care and mental health. I'm delighted to have the opportunity. Um, So just a little bit about me. I started my working life as a solicitor and I qualified into clinical negligence litigation for claimants. And I did that for a number of years. And as much as I loved that role and I was so pleased to be working in the firm that I was, Um, I was never quite sure if the law was for me, so I decided to have a a year out and I did a master's in medical law and ethics, thinking thinking like a lawyer that that would look good on my CV if if I wanted to go back into the law. Uh, But through a series of events, I never went back to the law and I landed up working for a global Alzheimer's charity and I was there for about 10 years. Uh, Then I had some time out when I had a baby and then I... um, moved into another voluntary organization and then I came to Lawcare six years ago now and Lawcare were looking for somebody who had a legal background but had also worked in small charities with a mental health focus so I'd worked both in the world of dementia but also I'd worked for a group psychotherapy organization so I had a little bit of sort of broader knowledge around mental health issues so I was delighted to see that opportunity arise for law care because I thought this just sounds like the job for me and uh, and I love working here and it's been such a great um, experience being back in the law but not working in the law and reflecting on how much it's changed and particularly just in the few years I've been at law care how much higher up the agenda the mental health um, aspect of law has become. Definitely but- and it's such a it's such an important topic isn't it and how, how old is law care as a charity and um, it would be great to know kind of how much how much money it's raised to date and and hear if you've a few of the success stories well so law care was set up in 1997 so we're having our 25th anniversary next year amazing yeah and it's quite interesting because i think a lot of people still don't know that we exist i my sort of educated guess is about a quarter of the legal profession know that we're here and we grew out of an initiative of the law society of england and wales who uh, back in the early 90s were concerned about how much solicitors were drinking and using alcohol as an unhealthy coping mechanism for life in the law. And over a period of time, we've expanded to cover all the jurisdictions, all the three legal jurisdictions in the UK and all branches of the legal profession. And we're not just here for legally qualified staff, we're also here for people who work in other roles within the legal sector, be you in HR or finance or business development support so we're now 
uh, here for the entire legal profession and we're here to provide support for those people experiencing mental health concerns and worries but also we're here to raise awareness about why mental health matters and try and drive some change in the culture and practice of law to create a more healthy environment for people and sort of do a better job I think at preventing some of the problems that we see by education and providing good information. In terms of money, we operate on a shoestring. Our annual budget is just over £300,000 a year. Um, so traditionally, we've been funded by the professional bodies across the UK. And we're now seeking to increase um, our voluntary income from other sources. And I guess an additional funds that we've raised may be, be hard to add that up over the last 25 years, but certainly in the this year it would be a great success story. We set a, a target of an additional £40,000 this year and we've already exceeded it. In fact, we exceeded Brilliant. it in May. Amazing. Well, congratulations. That's a that's a, an impressive figure. Um, I guess it would be quite interesting to know any statistics that you have about mental health in the legal profession. And a question I have is, is do you think people's mental health is declining or is there just more awareness and helping to improve it? I think that's an interesting question. I think, well, in terms of so starting with the statistics, it's actually interesting when we reflect. I think at the, the current times, there's a tendency to think that the mental health concerns that perhaps, that we're seeing in the in the legal industry and sector are more relevant, a more recent phenomena. But actually, the issues have been around for a very long time. When you think that law care was set up in the 90s. And some, there's been early data, there's probably over 25 years of research that's been done um, around lawyers, not only in the UK, but predominantly in the US and Australia that has demonstrated, going back to 1994, that lawyers have higher rates of stress, anxiety and depression when compared to others. And the question really is, why is that? It's not mm. that legal professionals are uh, genetically predisposed to poor mental health and well-being than others. There's something about that culture and practice of law that's having an impact. Um, also, just generally across um, all sectors in the UK, we know that about one in four people will experience a mental health concern during their adult life. Um, there's been lots of data coming out in England and Wales from the Junior Lawyers Division about the particular concerns of junior lawyers. Um, what we've seen in law care in the, in the COVID times, so an increase in, in 2020 of about 9% more people reaching out to us for support. Wow. Um, but that's about the same every year. So it's quite interesting. But what we did see is about one in three of those contacts now have a COVID related element. And what was striking from last year's analysis, and we're seeing this repeated this year, is that the support contacts about anxiety in 2020 more than doubled. And we've seen the same this year. We've also seen an increase in contacts around bullying and harassment. So a number of years ago, that may have been the fourth or fifth most common reason people got in touch with us. That's now at number three. Wow. So we're seeing trends emerging, as you would expect, that anxiety across uh, for everybody 
um, has increased during the, the global pandemic. And we know that bullying and harassment are significant issues in the legal sector. And with the greater awareness around that, I think more people are speaking up about it. Definitely, which is so important to, to for people to feel like they can speak up and have a helpline to call. And um, I don't know if you if you track the statistic, and but I, I'm quite interested to know is there is there a certain level in the legal profession that you see more people having a mental health issue, or is it anything from kind of um, trainee, paralegal, solicitor to, to associate partner? I'd say it's interesting because we, we've, we've actually got a study that will be coming out in September called Life in the Law. And that data is not out yet, um, the, but that will highlight some of those questions you've just asked. But I would mm-hmm. say that we know from, from research that the American Bar Association did in 2016 that was published, um, the largest study today on lawyers, that the the most vulnerable time in your legal career is making that transition into practice. So newly qualified lawyers and trainees are a particularly vulnerable group. And we do see that reflected in our support contacts that over 50% of them would be people that fall within that trainee to up to five years qualified. Um, That may also be though, that because we know that group are vulnerable, we specifically target them and Mm -hmm. do quite a lot of work engaging with junior lawyer groups. Um, There's also, we're picking up through our own channels that lawyers with disabilities um, uh, are more likely to contact law care for support than would be represented in the profession if you looked at data from from a profile of the profession. Um, so there are particularly vulnerable groups within the law, but then that's not to say that the issues do affect a whole range of people. And when we look at who completed our life in the law survey, interestingly, it was fairly evenly split across the age range of um, people's life course in the law. Um, Because we had thought perhaps more junior lawyers would complete the survey, but actually we found that a range of people did. Um, So it's it's not, I think we're aware of particular vulnerabilities, but I also think these are issues that affect everybody. Definitely, definitely. And I think there's also kind of social economic issues and and um things that kind of impact it like for example how social media has exploded over the past 10 years and the impact that has on people's mental health and how they want to portray themselves and how they worry about how they're seen as well yes and i think that is a a concern perhaps for uh younger people within the profession. And there's another side of that as well from sort of anecdotal conversations with junior lawyers is that they're often put under pressure to create a a media profile for themselves um, to sort of complement the firm's uh, PR machinery as well, to be seen as influencers and engaging in broader issues around the law. And from what I've picked up, I think some trainees and juniors find that that's an added strain, that in addition to having to do their work and meet those expectations, they're also expected to be doing this extracurricular social media activity and being really active in social media and trying to find the time for that can be a challenge as well. 
Yeah, definitely. And it's such a it's such a kind of two-edged sword, I think, social media, because, you know, even Instagram, where you get likes and you look how many likes you're getting and you get excited by it. But then at the same time, the other side is you start worrying and becoming anxious over why some posts get some likes and others don't get any. So it's, it, it, it's And we've all been there. You know, I've occasionally put things on LinkedIn and I think, oh, the last time I put something on LinkedIn, you know, I had 54 likes and this time I've only had 12. Um, and I think you have to, uh, it's not easy, um, but you, I think you have to be very strict around social media and not allowing the, the way, you know, your stuff that you put out there is interpreted by others to um, influence you and not respond to the negative comments that you might get as well and that's easier said than done and I think also we get that um, dopamine hit from when we engage with our phones and technology and we see a like or a good thing happens it gives us a little buzz and that becomes addictive as well that sort of constantly checking to see have I had any more likes um, it's I think it's important to try and have a healthy perspective on all of that um, because it's so easy to get caught up and with with sort of lawyer thinking styles around perfectionism and comparing ourselves to others um, it can it can be easy to slide into sort of feelings of uh, low self-esteem and feeling inadequate because you know you haven't um, perhaps portrayed yourself as well as, as well as you would have liked to have done on social media or you're responding to that negative feedback that you've had. Mm-hmm. Lawyers tend to be high achievers so you can see it you know really affecting people as well as, as you said and affecting their self-esteem and that actually brings me quite nicely onto onto our next question which is how can lawyers be better at looking after their mental health what would be your your top tips well i think my my top tip is really recognizing how important mental health is not only for us as in our personal lives and the things we do outside of work but i think it really gets to the heart of legal work because legal work requires clarity of mind and focus and excellent concentration and if you've got poor mental health and well-being you're not going to have the same sort of resources in your toolbox of those brain skills that you need to apply your mind to the work you're doing and so helping legal professionals see that looking after their mental health actually helps them be a good effective lawyer is it should be part of your sort of professional identity and armory that's something you see that supports you in your work because the tendency is to sacrifice the things that actually support our mental health and well-being when work becomes pressurized is rather than go outside for that dog walk or go to yoga you cancel it and just spend another hour in front of your screen replying to emails or finishing off that drafting whereas in fact you would have been better to have had that break because that would have refreshed you and revitalized you and um, reinvigorated your mind to come back clearer and more focused and able to do that work better. So I think from my message is about recognizing the innate value that good mental health has to helping you do your best work um, and making sure you put the time in to support it. And communicating it, I guess, with your manager, because I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it, where 
hopefully managers support that and, and it's down to them to make sure that people have the time to look after their mental health but also there needs to be that communication that... yeah I, I mean I completely agree it's also feeling and this is easier said than done is that there's still even in a in this growing um, recognition about mental health and we're talking about it more mental health is still surrounded by stigma and the stigma silences people from speaking up and it's very hard in practice sometimes to talk to colleagues or your manager about your mental health and things that might be concerning you so that would be my other top tip would be is if you are worried about yourself or you're worried about a colleague is speak to somebody about it and that what most people who contact law care for support tell us is that when they do speak to people those fears that they had that they would um it would be a career limiting step or uh, they would be met with resistance or dismissed actually they find the opposite that in most cases uh, people are empathetic and they want to listen and they want to help and of course there's so much help out there so that first step though of speaking about it is the hardest one but such an important one Completely, and actually, a kind of personal story from from Flex is we had a a paralegal who was working at um, a magic circle firm through us who committed suicide. Gosh, it didn't didn't show up to his all exam, then didn't show up to his placement. So we then got notified about it, and I just you know you never know. He he was probably the loudest person um, out of the out of the group we placed, and you never know what's happening behind people's face mm. and so it, it, it was such a, a lesson for us to always check in and ask people how they're doing and um try to remember that you know you can't always you can't see mental health problems it's not it, it's it's a different it, it's harder to to find in a way because it's it's slightly it can be invisible i think that's right and i and i'm just sorry to hear that that story of somebody that that worked with you um with flex is because that that's often the case if if we are not always able to spot the signs in others that something is amiss and those regular check-ins and asking people how they really are is so important but also being equipped to have those conversations because sometimes particularly in the workplace we may feel well it's not really my business or um, I'm worried I might say the wrong thing. I'm not a psychologist, I'm not trained as a counsellor. And I think there's lots of training and support for that, but it's also helping people realise you don't have to be all of those things. You just have to ask the question and listen, and then say, look, let's try and get you some help. Mm -hmm. um, and that having that conversation and providing that space to listen to someone can make such a difference. 100%, I, I totally agree with that. And and. If that brings me on actually have you heard of any law firms who are introducing mental health officers or any law firms doing amazing things with how they're looking after their employees mental health well, there's there's a whole range of things that are going on from organizations training mental health first aiders to um, mental health champions to well-being committees so there's i think there's a growing um range of of those sorts of programs and then practical supports being put in through use of technology or providing on-site counseling services and i think those are really important steps but i think where they have to sit though in order to be successful and to sort of support those healthy workplaces where people feel psychologically safe to talk about what's going on for them that it's really got to be embedded 
in the governance and management of the organizations and have buy-in from leaders and i think the, the the sorts of amazing things i think that are happening are around supervision so i know in in family law there are a number of firms that provide active sort of psychological supervision for family lawyers where they can have a conversation with a psychotherapist regularly to talk about the emotional impact that the work is having on them mm. i think that's a really innovative um positive step um those organizations where they have set up um staff consultation groups and they actually ask people in the organization what their issues are what their concerns are and how those could be addressed i think often we see measures being brought in where perhaps there hasn't always been that consultation around what are people's needs what do they want so that communication piece i think is really important but also you know the law is such a hierarchical environment that you and there's a lot of micro cultures in law so you may have a, an organization that has some wide policies around mental health and well-being say on flexible working and access to support all kinds of things but if the the person that heads up the team that you work in isn't necessarily bought into all of that you may find that those things don't really happen for you because of that sort of micro cultures that we get in the law so i i think those amazing things is where there's really that that engagement with people and understanding their needs and creating those environments where people feel they can be themselves that they're trusted and respected and i think a lot of that comes from the top i definitely and i think i think you've kind of touched on it the the culture is so important mm. there to make it open and make it acceptable to say you know can i have this afternoon off because my mental health I'm, I'm struggling yeah or i need to go for a walk and actually allowing that to not be seen as um seen as a problem and it it's funny isn't it because the billable hour is so it's almost that that it's so anti that and it's how many hours you can do at your desk and how long things take yeah and it's it, it sometimes i think um might might not help with people's mental health and i think i think you know i think we you know we could probably talk about the billable hour for an entire day um <laughs> i think that is uh there's a growing recognition of the challenges around that because you know it's a metric that you know, i guess it boils down to how do we measure success and what does success look like and that just measuring the the hours that people spend doing tasks i guess that's a way of, of of that's the the way that it's always being done and that provides that uh accountability to clients and for billing and all that kind of thing but we're not really looking at outputs and what people have delivered and and i think that there needs to be a shift around recognizing the wider value that people bring into organizations that perhaps isn't just on the billable hour because i hear from lots of people that even though their firms may have lots of exciting and innovative work going around dni and mental health and well-being you're not really given any slack on your billable hours target if you want to participate in those events as well you have to do them on top of the hours that you're doing um and i think it 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 can lead people to seeing feeling that they're only valued for what they bill and not the wider uh range of things they could be bringing into organizations and you know it is used as a metric to decide who gets promoted and who mm. doesn't 
Um, and I think it's time to start really reflecting on how we move away from that. And I think COVID will probably amplify those discussions because I would imagine a lot of clients are re-examining, you know, in the light of the vast majority of lawyers working at home over the last almost 18 months now, um, they're getting that same quality of legal service from somebody delivering that from their spare bedroom. Um, yeah, so completely. what are you paying for the signature building on a London skyline and the great artwork and the, the homemade cookies if you're in a big London firm? Um, you know, all those things that go around it, it, there may be more conversations around that now. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sort of in that world actively, but yes, I do think the billable hour is a challenge and lawyers are great at finding solutions to problems. Um, so I would have thought there's some great opportunity to come up with some from better ways of looking at things. And that is actually some firms are moving away from billing targets, mm. which I think is a positive. Definitely. I would love to see some sort of metric where every every lawyer in a law firm has to do at least an hour of corporate social responsibility, mm. whether it, you know, and whatever level you are, trainee, partner, it, it shouldn't matter. It's a commitment that a firm makes because there's lots of amazing things happening, but it, it tends to, well, in my old law firm, it tended to be the same people always doing it. Mm. <laughs> so it'd be so great to make that a, um, as a kind of a, a rule that it, you know every every person is given is given an hour or a day to go and do corporate social responsibility. Yeah, and I and I agree, and I but I also think that it's about you know how we measure the bottom line, and I guess the legal sector is so competitive that firms are looking at their rankings, and how do you measure? how successful and growing your firm is, I guess, is by looking at how much you bill annually and you're you're wanting to see that go up all the time. And I think that comes at a cost and that that wider piece around looking at, well, what are we delivering for clients? You know, what's our client satisfaction like? What have we contributed to the debates around improving things in the law? Um, what's our diversity and inclusion and in our work? Um, like how are we creating a better environment for people how are we creating an organization that's a great place to work mm -hmm. um is this a great place to work you know that should be the metric or people saying i love working here um then that, i think that means you're su a successful organization um in in that regard um but i i think there's lots of challenges around just boiling everything down to money Definitely. I'm very much with you. <laughs> I guess it's and that old tension of law being a profession and a business. It is. And, and there's there's a happy medium, isn't there? I mm -hmm. totally understand that business, you know, law firms are businesses and need to be profitable and make money. But their profit often is, is extremely high. So it's then balancing that with a bit more of the um, pro bono, charitable and, and making sure it's a great place to work. Mm. Um, and and a kind of final question is is do you think law firms should promote time off for people to focus on mental health and have you heard of any who are who are doing that yeah well i I've, I've certainly heard of firms that um give an allocation per month of uh, like an afternoon off or three or four hours a month where it's sort of uh additional time that you can take off to do things with that you know it may be that you need to go to the dentist or you need to take your children somewhere um, but you can also use it for other activities but I guess the bigger question really is around 
that work-life balance and that old chestnut in the law because that's that's ultimately the challenge we face is that there are very few lawyers who are working their contractual hours and the long hour culture in law is endemic and so if you're working 50 to 60 hours a week um you don't have a lot of time for doing all those other things and i think there needs to be a greater recognition within firms and legal practices and employers of actively monitoring the kind of hours people are working and and trying to encourage more healthy practices around that so that people do have the time to go and do those things that support their mental health and well-being definitely 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 i i i totally agree with that and it's interesting point of the work-life balance because everyone w- wants to have have that balance and, and as someone said recently it was often your kind of your life is your work but making sure that you make time for other things as well and enjoying it and mm. I think the work-life balance is such a blurred it, it can become very blurred can't it of, and I of, think for, for where people feel the pressure of that is where they're feeling overwhelmed at work they don't feel as well supported Um, You know, people can work long hours when they feel they're well supported and respected and they're already getting a lot out of what they're doing. You won't hear them complaining about it or not complaining is the wrong word. You won't hear them expressing it in the negative because Mm. it's something that they're deriving some enjoyment Enjoyment. from aligning with their purpose and their values and they're motivated and inspired and they know that if they are finding that tough they can go to their manager and say you know what i you know i really need to leave a bit early today and they know that they're going to say yes or they're going to cut them that slack it's when you're in that environment where you feel you're putting in all of those hours but no one's really appreciating that or Mm. recognizing um that you have other demands on your time in your life and allowing you that um the opportunity to pursue that I think it's, it's so important isn't it then to get to know your colleagues and your managers or your employees because understanding where someone wants to go in life whether it's mm. they want to set up a farm in Somerset one day but then you know how to help them you know what how to help them and what how to try and get them to where they want to go whether that's becoming more commercial or understanding certain contracts and you can begin to help them give them allocate them work which might help them get to their goal Mm. and i think there's also a uh you know with the the sort of post-covid world i think many employers not only in the law are really going to have to think about what they're offering people in the round that aligns with their sort of values in life i think many people have been reflecting on what they want out of life and uh, their expectations from the workplace. And I think we're going to see a shift. It's already beginning to happen um, when we look at, you know, some of those that for this example in, you know, in London, the big city, big American law firms offering very large salaries to associates is there's probably going to come a point where you won't be able to throw enough money at at people to get them through the door it's going to have to be more than just the money see what i mean um and i think that's that's an important consideration that there's perhaps a cultural shift taking place here and organizations need to recognize that they've got to be create they've got to be offering more than just the sort of financial rewards if they're going to want to recruit and retain the best people 
that's um absolutely brilliant thank you so much elizabeth for coming on it's been absolutely fascinating and so interesting to discuss such an important topic and thank you very much for having me i've really enjoyed um our conversation Humans of Law is a podcast produced by Flex Legal, an award-winning digital platform that connects interim lawyers and paralegals to the clients that need their support. Learn more at flex.legal. Thanks for listening.